G'day everyone, my name is Tom Craig and you're listening to my podcast, The Help Side, where we speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey and get an insight into who they are, what they're about and what makes them tick. Now if you like what you hear, feel free to follow our socials at The Help Side on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd absolutely love that. This week, we talk to the man they call the Tattooed Titan, none other than Kieran Gutters. After bursting onto the scene for the Kookaburras as a young star at the 2010 World Cup, Kieran quickly became one of the most popular players in world hockey and made a name for himself as a lethal striker and walking highlight reel, with some of the most unforgettable goals scored in Australian hockey. I was pretty pumped Kieran agreed to share his story with me, because it is by no means a smooth one, and the resilience Kieran has shown throughout his career is something that is truly inspiring. We sat down after a game of golf in the change room at the Sutherland Hockey Club and added for about an hour and a half about the highs and lows of his career. Being one of the great Sydney clubs, you'll hear a bunch of excited kids in the background at times, eager to get back into training, and there'll be an intrusion or two, but to be honest, I find it kind of adds something. Kieran Govers is one of the true servants of hockey, and despite it really being quite a cruel game to him at times, his love and passion for the game and its development remains quite incredible. In this part A of the interview, we discuss Kieran's path to the Cookaburras and how it very nearly didn't happen. He's got some cracking stories for you all, and I hope you enjoy the help side of Kieran Govers. Covers! Can you believe that, that goal? That is, is the most brilliant goal you may ever see. The overhead from Knowles has been tapped in by Gubbers. Reverse stick shot goes what in. What a finish from Gubbers. Unreal. On the backhand, the top of Hawke's shot. Gubbers lifted into the sky by his teammates. What a cracker that was. It's glued to his stick. Feeds it back in. Well done to White. Forward now to Gubbers. They queue up the Australians on the top of it. We're here straight from the golf course. Um, my second live interview, pretty pumped about this one. Kieran Gubb is joining me in his home club change room, hence the echo. <laughs> How you going? Yeah, good mate, good. How'd you get him today? Uh, I got a couple of shanks, but other than that, uh, pretty straight. So, yeah, nine over, all right. Better than me. That's all right, mate. It's a good course. We didn't know the course, so. Nah, that's better true. Better next time. Bit of time for golf now, in retirement. Plenty, but hey, Four kids, it's uh, not much time to swing a club at the moment. That's hectic. Do they play? Nah, Leo soon. Yeah, Yeah. what is that? When he hits three, I'm going to go buy him some clubs. And chase the money. Yeah. 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 I'll quit everything. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. And you bought a new car recently as well, I saw. Yeah, good uh, family car from Southern Mazda. Yeah. Sounds good. So, yeah, needed a a bit of an upgrade from our old one. So, bit of room. And it's a departure from... uh, Back in the day, driving in and around the hockey scene, there were a lot of Holdens. Yeah, a lot of uh, loud, noisy cars. Yeah, don't think the security curtain uni liked it. <laughs> but that was all good, had my fun. So hopefully in the near future, I'll get a couple more. Yeah, yeah. Well, back to the old news. Yeah, all the wagons, holding wagons. Which is quicker. Did you ever drag race? You drag race, Yeah, huh? every Wednesday down in Quinana. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, is there coin in that or what? Nah, you, you spend a lot of coin, but okay. nah, well, it, was, it was just just good fun. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How so, does it work? You just... Yeah, you, you pay 50 bucks entry fee. Yeah. Um, you have to have long sleeve, shirt, 
trackies and a certified helmet. Yeah. And you just humdinged it down the uh, straight as long as you can, uh, yeah. as quick as you can. Yeah. Uh, you hit about 180 k's in 400 meters, I think oh, it was. Right. So that's what it is, 400 meter race. Yeah, and quarter then, mile. Do you get leather parachutes out of the back or something? No, nah, my car's not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's only sub 10, but you need the parachutes. Yeah, okay. And we were talking before, but um, started watching the F1, like, Draft to Survive on Netflix. Get a lot of my content from Netflix, but um, we're saying you're a long-time fan of F1. Yeah. Yeah, them in V8s. So, um, close mate, plays for Morbank, Nigel Croak. His brother's a high up in um, uh, Shelby Power Racing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so try and go see them as much as I can. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I watch F1s on the on, uh, Foxtel yeah. probably every week when they're on. So, yeah, yeah. you got 10. Uh, underdogs whoever's the underdog yeah. right. Mercedes is top dogs so whoever's trying to chase them down so not Mercedes just the third and the fourth yeah, third and yeah fourth Red Bull's going good so yeah. Ferrari's a bit tall at the moment but yeah, okay. yeah any ever any chance of like starting go-karting growing up or anything like that would you ever have pursued some uh, sort of racing career or no oh, looking back at it I didn't think my the path I chose in cars was going to be the way either but um, looking back at it if Leo or Toby wants to do it I'll yeah for sure I'll put him in <laughs> but I think it's yeah, pretty hexy in the pocket I reckon yeah. so I'm not that great with um, fixing cars or anything so I might have to get Blake involved and, yeah, okay. yeah, and, and build him a little bit or give him some money to fix them so go for F1 yeah fair enough alright let's get into growing up you mentioned Blake younger brother um, also a kookaburra, he's, he's getting up there with his games as well, which must, must seem a bit funny to you, considering he was your like, little little brother growing up. But what was that like in your in your household of hockey players growing up? Were you always hockey players or what happened? How'd you get into hockey? Yeah, always hockey players. Um, Dad was involved when he was younger. So then obviously Hayden got involved, my older brother. Then just I just followed him around the traps and obviously Scott Blake came, came after, so... Um, good, uh, good, some good, good games around the household and stuff. So we had a big house, which was sort of good, a massive rumpus room. And we were fortunate; we backed onto the Wollongong Uni hockey mm. field, so it was twenty steps to the field, and every other were over there having a, having a bash. But um, yeah, Blake was sort of weird when he was growing up, because he wanted he just wanted to be a goalie. <laughs> so like always had oversized pads and everything, just wanted to get balls hit at him. It's like. Get out of that, like, man, get out of that. There's only one spot in the whole team, like, you don't want to do that. So then, yeah, he sort of grew out of it, and he's probably, when he was 11 or 12, and, yeah, I think he, yeah, asked him, he had a few few games and goals, but, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was good. Then, obviously, um, Hayden and Scott went in the career path in the police, and um, Blake sort of ventured to Perth as well when he was, I think he was just on 18, and... And yeah, he's he cracked the cookers and he's still there now, which is good. Yeah, nice. But back to you. We can talk about Blake a bit later, or I might get him on the show as well. But when you were growing up, you you always kind of thought that hockey was something that you wanted to do, or what were you? Yeah, what was it like growing up? What did you? What'd you yeah, like obviously it was in the blood. Um, I went to an all boys Catholic school, so I tried to have a dabble at everything I could, um, like cricket, soccer, football, rugby union. AFL, I tried to have everything, so um, I was able to play in the AFL, uh, sorry, union and league team on the wing, um, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the best, like I was, wasn't confident catching a ball, so I like just let it bounce, 
then go chase it and run it back because I was a little bit quick but, um, when I lost all my chubby junior <laughs> fat. Um, but I think my time came to concentrate on hockey when we we're playing like sort of rep uh, rugby league and this big dude, I think probably in front row, ran at me and I just sort of just stepped aside and pretended <laughs> I tried to tackle him. And uh, I didn't play football after that game, so... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I would have, yeah, looking back at it, I, maybe I, I should have tried other sports a little bit more, but yeah, hockey took over in the end, and when I was real young, about 11, and that's when I started representing, so it sort of, yeah, I, I chose hockey, and it's, and it's stuck at it. When did you kind of realise that you were pretty good? Probably at the talent camps. Um, I was... I went a year early, which was probably unheard of back mm. in the day. Mm. Then I was always picked up an age group in the state team, in the country team or New South Wales PWSA teams and stuff. But, yeah, you, you, you think in the back of your mind you you got a little bit of talent and your, and your bit of cockiness, I guess, come, comes into it. Um, yeah, people can say I was a little bit of an arrogant prick back in back in my day and... And I probably was, but um, sometimes you have to draw a fine line of arrogance to competitiveness to what avenue you want to take down the road, and and that's and that's how it ended up. I was just fortunate. Um, probably eleven or twelve, I, I knew I was heading in the right direction, and and uh, fortunate enough, I, I got picked in majority of the state teams growing up. So and that's when sort of boost your confidence I guess yeah for sure I mean your reputation um, around the international scene definitely within the team is being one of the hardest workers um, in the team is that something that came with age or is that something that you're always pretty hard working growing up yeah well I wasn't the fittest I wasn't the best player when I was like got into my late teens um, I sort of got a lot of mates who were way better than me but unfortunately when you hit 17 18 other stuff in your life comes about and and they venture down different paths and i sort of i was lucky i was able to to see that and watch that before i hit that sort of age and that sort of sort of drove me into the direction i wanted to go in um and then just working a little bit harder because i knew i wasn't the fittest back because I, I was a little bit chubby back in the day so then I was just lucky enough that I had a hockey field within 50 metres of my house so um, just every day just with my dad brothers over at the hockey field just practising and practising and practising and, and just in the end just repetition and um, yeah I think that just builds into how hard you your work and how much you really wanted, I guess. Yeah, okay. And so at 11, you kind of stuck with hockey and started hanging out, um, I don't know, started kind of pushing towards towards greater things with hockey. It's not a sport where there are like heroes, where the hockey heroes are immediately accessible. I mean, you kind of have to go looking for people to, to look up to. Was there someone for you who you looked up to growing up? Mum... Yeah, pro- probably Mick McCann, um, Jamie Dwyer, like Jimbo. Like, that was probably the two because obviously they were my position and, and you sort of wanted to watch what they did. But back in the day, there wasn't much hockey on mm. on TV because it just, just how it was back then. And, 
and you didn't really venture or the kookaburras didn't venture that much around sort of New South Wales when I was growing up so sort of um, it was a bit hard but when I actually saw some games that's what I wanted to or who, those two I wanted to emulate um, yeah just Mickey's sort of arrogance to demand the best best out of him then Jamie just with what he does just flair and skill and speed and trying to that's how I tried to mould my game off like I wasn't the most skilled but yeah I was yeah, able to nut my traps and then play on from there I guess so. yeah okay okay and your first taste of playing for Australia came in 2007 you just told me before with the Australian Youth Olympic Festival I think that was the first time I saw you play as well how old were you then? Uh, 18, 19 maybe okay it's a good tournament yeah it was, it was at home um, in Sydney sort of probably the first taste of real living in in a confined space with all your mates with other sports there sort of like yeah it's a youth olympic it's basically it's a mini olympics within in a nutshell but it's the difference is you only see the hockey people mm. so um yeah and, and looking back at it now like some photos that come up you see like gb like you, you were playing um jackson catlin and um those sort of guys and india yeah, you you play some of those guys, but you might play them twice, depending on what passport they use. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of weird. Then you look back on you're like, yeah, I've been playing you since like two thousand six, seven. It's like it's crazy. Then look at look at us now. We've we ventured on, and it's it's sort of good conversation started. He's like, oh, what is this? He was a freak back in the day, and oh yeah, he's taken off doing something else. And yeah, so yeah, Youth Olympics in 07 then backed it up in two thousand and nine. Both wins? Yeah, yeah. So I think the first one in 07, we went to Stroke, Sudden Death, and we beat GB. Then 09, we went to Golden Goal, and we got a breakaway. And I think it was Jason Donahue who just sprinted down the field. He was a pretty quick striker from ACT and just pined at top corner. Yeah, so... And yeah, it just went crazy from there. So mm. yeah, it's a good. Uh, it was a good team you guys had. I remember watching Des Abbott, um, but as you say, you listed the internationals who you played against. But your team was pretty good as well. Yeah. So yeah, back in I can't even remember in 07 who we had, um, but sort of 2009 because that was our junior world cup year. So that was sort of panning away for like a good build up into what was um, yeah pretty depressing ending to a junior world cup. So but. Um, yeah, had a good had a good role with those sort of guys, and I think there was maybe a bunch of us who went 07 and 09, so that was sort of good. Yeah, okay. I'm going to pull up that junior World cup because, I mean, across your career, you haven't had a lot of failures as far as playing for the Kookaburras go. I mean, you won two World Cups and like, Commonwealth Games. I mean, we're going to touch on London later, but the junior World cup, it was it was close. What happened there? That was 2009. Yeah, 2009. It was pretty iconic because it was a split. Um, tournament in uh, Singapore and Malaysia mm. so um, yeah we went through the, the round undefeated I think then it was sort of weird because we finished on the same goals as someone maybe Germany I think it was mm. because we knew if, if it got close because the quarterfinals and all the semifinals crossed over but they were at like another venue in, in I can't remember Joe or maybe mm then 
we finished and our wins were the same, our goals for, our goal against, and all that was the same. So we then we had to come back, I think it was against Germany, and just have a stroke off. A different day, a different occasion. No, it was, it was that. So we oh. finished playing. Yeah. Then I think Germany played after us. Yeah. Then like we had cooled down and everything, but we were on the practice pitch just just in case the the game went the way it was going. Oh, and right. it ended okay. ended that way. Then we had to go back onto the pitch and have a stroke off to see who finished first in the up in the in the table. That's unbelievable. So yeah, it was, it was crazy. Then we went into the semi final. Um, so you won the stroke off. Yeah, sorry, won the stroke off. Um, finished first. Then we crossed over. Yeah, I don't know who the stroke off was against, to be honest. Hmm. But we crossed over against Germany, and. Um, yeah, we just went to extra time. Like it was pretty that way. They had Fuxi, Hayner, mm. and all those guys who are still playing now, the junior dudes, or now the seniors. I was gonna say Fuchs yeah. would have been about twelve. Yeah, yeah. Like you still grease lightning. He scored the he scored the goal actually. Like we had him pinned in their bottom right hand corner and they just smashed the ball out. And we mistrapped it and Matty Boyce went to change the ration, tripped over, it's just I don't know, it was like a domino effect day. Like, we missed the ball up front, someone mistrapped it, Maddie went to turn and get it, tripped over, then Fuchs just got it and ran the back and just pined it. Like, yeah, and just scored. But then we, um, then we rolled New Zealand in 3 4 to, to bring home the bronze. Mm, mm. Lessons from, the, from that or? Um, one for Scotty Gunn, I don't lose your passport. So, <laughs> yeah, what happened there? Yeah, he was like, because we had to cross the border. So to get to our semi-final and um, we went to passport control just like in any airport you do and like we all had our passports and everything and the school's like, I don't know, I don't know where mine is. <laughs> and we're like, man, you just, you just had it. Like, he's like, I know, like, I think I had it. And like, he couldn't find it, couldn't find it. We ransacked the bus, couldn't find it. So then like, he had to get off the bus because he wasn't allowed into um, uh, Malaysia. So then... He just got left in the, the depot, the passport control, and then we had to go on and play. Then we rang, so we got dropped off. Then we rang, um, oh, I don't know, the bus company or something. Then they re-checked the bus. It was like down in his pocket in his seat. So, but by that time, yeah, Leon Hayward was it was the goal, the other goalie as well. And he just mm. came in and, and that was it. But um, the other lessons, it's, yeah, we... We played pretty good, to be honest, and just unlucky in the end. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. And juniors hockey, anything can really happen. But it wasn't yeah. long after that until you made your debut for the Cook Warriors. Yeah, so then, yeah, so 09, uh, it was July, I think. Then the Cook Warriors had a tournament in Canberra at the end of the year. And Rick had said, oh, because I had a bad hip um, condition, and Rick said, go, go in, get it. Um, sorted then we'll see you in January um, so that, that was I guess a positive and a negative because like straight off that you just want to make your debut because obviously um, it would have been in the pipeline I think I think they went to Malaysia because that's when Swanee and Godzi debuted as well so it would have been cool for all us three to debut but yeah life happens and, and that's how it went I went under got surgery and um, yeah moved to Perth in January 10 and debuted at the end of January mm. and they're, they're like looking at your arms you're heavily tattooed known great call by one of the commentators in the Champions Trophy called you the tattooed titan but one of your one of your arms pays 
um, tribute to your, your Kiwi heritage. And there was a rumour going around that if it weren't Australia, you were, you were potentially going to go and play for New Zealand before you debuted for Australia. Any credibility to that rumour? Is there a story there? Nah, 100% true. Okay. Yeah, 100% true. I went to New Zealand, played in the NHL in 2006 for Wellington. Uh, we won. Um, and at the time, I think the coach was Kevin Towns. Yeah, sorry if I got his name wrong, but we had a, had a quick meeting. Then um, I think because I, I had a dual passport mm. as well. So then if I if I registered as a New Zealand, so then they could get another foreigner over. Then they're sort of like trying to come under the table to yeah, get yeah, through, yeah, yeah. basically three foreigners. But yeah. but then if I did that, then they would have picked me in the New Zealand squad so then I just went as a normal foreigner but then I think it might have been maybe a couple of years later Shane McLeod shoot over over, over Belgium like they actually offered me like a contract like but they spoke to like there was Dean Cousins and Phil Burrows and that about me going ifs or what's what's going to be the repercussion of the team and, mm. and that sort of thing so yeah basically I think I was like 18 or 19 with a like, like a national um, scholarship, basically a contract in, in front of me if I want to go play for New Zealand. And uh, I remember I, I didn't know what to do. I met with Larry uh, McIntosh. Um, yeah, had a phone hook up with Rick. Um, then because my first two thousand seven AYF coach was Mark Hager Horry, and I, I like yeah. Whatever he basically said, like I did, um, yeah. and I had a yeah, good Skype meeting with him back in the day. Then, yeah, he sort of um, persuaded me to stay tough it out, and you'll reap the rewards basically. And um, yeah, I'm sort of glad I had all those conversations because yeah, I, I, even though my career wasn't a 300 gamer, I still played a like a sort of a nine year career with short games, but has some accolades behind it as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't give up anything to play 300 games to have nothing, basically, so... What was the conversation like? I'm really interested in, like, you rattling off some names there of some pretty high-profile people. Yeah. What were the opinions and was it was it ever really on the cards? Were you thinking... Was, was there ever a point where you were thinking, no, I'm going to go to New Zealand? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, sort of, it was a bit 50-50 with mum and dad. Um, because one's Aussie and one's Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, yeah, probably maybe wanted me to see the international circuit quicker than I, I did, basically. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. Um, yeah, Larry, he, he was sort of a, a bench sitter, but more persuade, like obviously with the Aussie stuff when he was with the Cookers in 04 and, and how everyone he spent there. And um, yeah, Horry, like, because he sort of brought me through my junior Aussie stuff. So he was a massive... Yeah, influencer I guess like if he said go I would have went yeah. he said stay I'll stay so yeah. and that's in a nutshell that, that sort of answered the way I went so, yeah gotcha yeah. what did Rick say? Uh, yeah sort of sort of same as Larry like yeah well, it's, it's a, like a good offer like you got to weigh up what you what, what you really want in life and how hard you extra you might need to work because back then obviously New Zealand was a lower ranked team than Australia yeah and, um yeah, and yeah, in the end, it's like, I wouldn't say it's the easier road, but yeah, maybe I would have played a little bit longer and and went to more tournaments, but 
with New Zealand, but maybe not had the medals I had with Australia. So yeah. it's sort of nothing against New Zealand because representing your country and going to tournaments is an unbelievable achievement. But um, yeah, I cho- chose it and, and stuck with it, and glad I did because within their yeah, six months I was debuting and went to the World Cup. So yeah. yeah, talk to us about that. What was it like to? What was that phone call like? Uh, it was like it was sort of it wasn't a phone call because like back then it was just emails Mm. Um, it was sort of yeah same but because I wasn't really expecting much Um, it's sort of yeah look at like I can still remember playing this day like it was so fantastic for myself but then again a guy who I played hockey with uh, liver um, it was a massive downer for him and, and seeing how he had to deal with things. This was, is the World Cup selection. Yeah. yeah. So we were, so I debuted in the end of January against Korea and Hobart. Then um, we just went back for a training camp in Perth. I think we went down south for a little bit. And at that time, I didn't have a house. It was myself, GT, and Liver staying at, in uh, just an accommodation in Perth. Mm. And so we were like, we were real tight knit, did everything together. Then the morning of the selection, we went like sort of, down the beach, chilled out and everything because we knew what was coming. I wasn't really expecting much, just super happy I debuted and yeah, I guess 30, 70 chance that I, I might go, but um, yeah, then laying there with Chief and G on the beach and just, yeah, scrolling down because you don't really read the stuff up top, you just see, like, <laughs> everyone, can, everyone can say they they think they read the stuff, they just go down and see if there's name there, trust me, everyone does it. Then it's like, it just covers you up. <laughs> Gummers, then like it's like crazy, eh? It's like, but then it's like me and G were happy, but then we had to sort of contain it because, yeah, three hundred gamer plus missed out. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of and a guy who you sort of looked up to as well. Then um, yeah, then we went to breakfast and like spent big at breakfast, but then you just looked at Chief and he didn't eat anything and like he didn't have uh, uh, Belinda there, so he was on the phone to Belinda and. Yeah, sort of, it was mixed emotions, like super excited, but on the other hand, it was sort of probably an eye-opener to how much it, like, a selection meant to someone. Yeah. And that's sort of a big learning curve, I guess. So, and that's how basically selection went. And um, I think uh, Rick did call Chief, I'm pretty sure, um, before. Uh, and it was just like... Yeah, I don't think he could believe it, to be honest. But yeah, it's just how, how selections go, I guess. Like, it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough gig. Um, why do you feel? Because it's it's a, that's pretty big for someone to go to a World Cup, which is one of the majors, within six months of debuting or even less, even. What is it in your game that, that, that Rick really liked to, to take you as such a young young player to that tournament? Um... I think because I was, I was versatile, so I could play striker, midfield. I was had a little bit of a flick. I wasn't as powerful as like Luke or um, or, or Chris were. Chris was, but um, there's probably another threat that no one saw internationally. And I sort of had, I, I guess, I had a bit of a go, like um, a bit of determination to me, I guess. And um, yeah, that's. That's what it was, but 
um, probably touch it. Yeah, I think I debuted, had three games, and by end of the World Cup, I think I was a world champion with 13 caps or something. So nice. it's, yeah, it, was, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, just how the world can change within six to nine months. Did that change things for you going to the World Cup? Did you start to feel a bit more like a, a fixture in the team and a bit more um, like a fully fledged cookware? Or when did that come? Uh, nah, not really. Um, because I, back in the day, you had your cookware squad and you had your AIS. So some were mixed together and some just had an AIS scholarship. So I moved over just on an AIS scholarship. So I was sort of like still trying to, uh, to be, um, be accepted within the group and and a, and a newbie um, but to be honest it was probably to my detriment um, that I thought I was safe so like I, pre- I had a pretty good year like went went to com- um, to World Cup went to uh, Aslan Shah went to Champions Trophy I uh, got picked in like best 11 Aslan Shah um, yeah went to Champions Trophy then I uh, sat out with I think George Baisley and admits he went to champions as well and that's sort of my sort of calling that um, nothing as smooth as it was and and right and i guess relying on your what you've done previously and and not worry about what you're doing in the now Um, and rick always said that you're always going to get picked on how you're performing at the time not what's been in the past or what you might do in the future and and that's sort of my calling because I knew coming up to comp games I was fighting and not comfortable for a spot. And and the writing was on the wall before by the time selection date came and I, I sort of knew then and when a selection came, you're not in it and sort of like cemented the nail in the coffin basically and 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 then I reckon that was my turning point in, in my career to be honest, as a as a kookaburra. So then end of ten I got picked in my like the first squad then just then I just didn't want to um, so GT as you're saying make yourself un, as as unselectable as you can so they have no excuse so that's when I live with him like he lived with me and then Burgers lived with me as well Nathan Burgers so and we just trained like did the extras like behind the scenes and stuff and and that sort of reaped into what was it 2012 and um, yeah so Probably missing comp games in 10 was the turning point of when, right, mate, you got to knuckle down and, and pull your finger out of your backside, basically, and get cracking there. Yeah, okay. I definitely remember I was around for the first, um, my first couple of years you were over in Perth, and you were always the first one to training, stretching and rolling, and I know that's that's a whole other piece. That's probably the injury piece, which we'll get into, but definitely, I mentioned before about the hard working, and that's, that's definitely true, and everyone can see that. Now, last week, I sat down with Flynn Ogilvie for episode 11 of The Help Side, and it was an absolute cracker. Check it out. So you, you actually did your hammy, I think, I remember it very clearly, actually. You were, we were playing GB, um, I remember the first half, you were untouchable, like they just could not get the ball off you, and for the most of the tournament, um, just playing unbelievable hockey, and then it was at Aslan Shah. So when you were kind of sledging it to yeah, because Mike before, like maybe there's sorry, some sorry Malaysia. <laughs> maybe there are some bad memories there. Um, but do you remember the actual feel? Like you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but the actual feeling of what happened. You you kind of jackknifed or what? Yeah. So 
actually a funny thing. Mm. Andy Philpot, mm. one of the nicest guys alive, yeah. um, passed me the ball mm. that was in front of me and I sort of lunged to reach it, end up missing it by a long way, so I probably shouldn't have lunged. <laughs> and my knee hyperextended, body went over the top and I just felt a pop. I felt a pop in the middle of my hamstring, which is weird because it tore off the top. Yeah, okay. It tore off my hip. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd just torn it, not torn it off the bone. Um, but Andy Philpot was so sorry for passing me the ball so upset that he passed the ball too far in front of me and he was he was more upset than I was I think which is typical him because he's so nice that's classy um, and he's a doctor actually yeah so he should have known better he should have but the other thing he's probably one of the most enthusiastic hockey players ever like he practices with two hockey sticks and the only man I know that takes a spare hockey stick to go and play in the street while we're away on tournaments so yeah yeah and I felt quite bad for him actually because yeah. he felt bad for making well he thought he made me tear my hamstring when it yeah. wasn't really his fault plenty more where that came from if you missed it go back episode 11 Flynn Ogilvy we talk a lot it's good go have a listen um, selected New Olympic Games first Olympic Games in like just tell me about that yeah it was it was epic um Oh, then I was more confident um, with the selection because, um, to be honest, you know who you're fighting against within the squad mm. um, and you know if someone's out of form or you might be a little bit better than him at the time and stuff like that. So I was slightly confident um, about selection and, yeah, I was just at home with G on the lounge and, yeah, we read the email and, yeah, basically jumped up and Yahoo and stuff and... Um, yeah, I think we ran on the piss that night, to be honest, and we got hammered. But, um, but then on the flip side of that, there was there was sort of two occasions where um, it, was, it was pretty tough to deal with as well. That That's when Des got... He got named, then I think within two weeks, he got pulled in to a meeting and just got, like, dropped because, um, yeah, I, I can't... Can't pinpoint it, but I think it was something to do with his knee. Like, I, I can't say what ha- happened in the meeting because I wasn't there, but from going from sort of like, yeah, yeah, drinking with him, celebrating all that, and then within two weeks, he's out of the team. And then you sort of like what happened in 2010 with Chief, you've got to be a bro and like have the shoulder and give him his time and stuff like that. So, sort of, yeah, he, because he just lived around the corner from me. So, it sort of, yeah, that was hard as well then. And I think a week out before the, I don't, I don't know, you went to Perth then, before we flew, before we had that, um, it was the morning of that uh, farewell thing with WA Olympic Association. Um, we had a trial game and um, I gave away a free hit and I just turned turned around, like faced the other way and started walking back and I just feel this massive pain in my ankle. Then I swore my head off and I flung my stick. I was on, well, at Shenton and we're on the, I was on the scoreboard sort of half that half the field and I flung my stick that hard it nearly hit the brick wall concrete near the dugout on the full. <laughs> then um, Rick... It's a good 40, 50 metres. Yeah, yeah, and Rick, like I was swearing my head off like his big dog just slung this ball like Chris to Miller. this day, yeah, he could have aimed 10 metres to the field. right. Anywhere, but he, he looked at the channel and like hit my channel ankle. Channel between your legs. Yeah, hit my ankle and I thought I broke it straight away. Then because I, I sort of carried on like a bit, like I just thought 
all of a sudden, bang, there goes Olympics straight away. He worked so hard. Then the last thing I wanted was like Rick. He ran onto the field. And like, because I was like, I'm a little bit taller than Rick. He sort of like jumped up and like grabbed me like on the neck and like waddled me off like a little baby. And I was like, I just want to like, I'm just like, I just, I'm just about to explode and I'm just going to about like unleash on you if you don't let me go. Then Ellen come running down the physio and I'm just like, get him away from me now before I like do something stupid. And like, his ankle was already fat and stuff. Um, but that was probably another. Another lesson as well, because I was sent off in the club match the weekend before that, and um, yeah, Rick sort of put me in my place, and I was probably like, not, not thinking I was too good for my boots, but um, like, like I was probably getting that comfortable stage again, and um, just, just having that, and like, and just that, because you have that much respect for Rick, that he does that to you for the better of you, and just like. Right, like now I need to knuckle down. So, but then scans come back and I was I was clear. I think I had a cortisone or something in the door, all panned out. But yeah, so two two instances within four weeks it was like bang. It could have yeah, happy, sad, happy again, and it could have been all over. Like you do the phone call to your parents. I'm waiting on results from a scan. Like you just yeah, but it is what it is, and yeah, you got on that plane. Nathan Eglinton's famous for saying um, the team that's picked to go to the Olympics is never the team that goes to the Olympics. Take me inside like the month out from going away to an Olympic Games because we've spoken about this before, but you've got half the team who doesn't make the team and they're, they're devastated and they've got to turn up to training and then the other half who, who are going to realise their dreams. What's that month out from the Olympics like? Yeah, it's sort of... Yeah, it's pretty tough. Um... Because you want to be super happy, but then respect the guys that didn't make it. Um, then you can just see, because you always play internal match or internal games, as you know, before you fly out, just to, to get up to speed and keep up to speed and your fitness and all that. Um, yeah, sort of, yeah, the first week is, is probably the hardest week to, you know, you're trying to tippy-toe around the, the, the stadium and stuff and, yeah, it probably makes things worse, I guess. Um, but other than that, I think the lead up, the lead up was fine. Um, cruising into it um, back here in Australia, we took uh, Kate, Kate, Cole Brown, and, and Charts come over as the two reserves and did a fantastic job. Because I like I was sort of looked up to Brownie um, and went to him when I didn't get selected and stuff. So he sort of he helped me mentally with, with that stuff. Um, in in uh, London, we went to we went into into the village, like got a um, what do you call it, familiarised with with what was going on and where everything is. Then we left our stuff down and we we went out of the camp for out of the village for three days just to chill out and do some more training and stuff. And then we came back in and and hit the ground running. So, but yeah, back in Perth, it's yeah, that first week pre uh, post selection is. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty daunting, I guess. Yeah. And the tournament itself was was pretty crazy. I mean, I'm not sure if you'd be perhaps not outright favourites, but definitely um, expected to, to win, like every time Australia goes to the Olympics in hockey. But um, what was the tournament like for you? Yeah, sort of. Um, well, this time I didn't get caught up in the emotions or anything. Or 
we were pretty focused because we had some like senior players, probably a majority more senior or ones that have gone to a couple Olympics, I guess, and they sort of taught us like stay in the moment, don't get overwhelmed within the vibe and stuff. Um, yeah, the tournament like we had a pretty good draw, so like we had S South Africa, Pakistan, Spain, I think first up. Then we're cruising, then uh, three nil or three one up against GB, and we drew three all. So that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty uh, a kick in the guts and an eye opener that yeah, it's we're we're a real thing, and if you lose one game, it's 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 pretty cutthroat. So yeah, we're pretty up there in terms of um, Olympics, like winning or being in the top whatever so that sort of the public just jumps on you when the olympics comes and and that that's sort of what um got us pretty upset um because what what our situation and we just and you just come back to yeah the chokers and, and stuff like that so i think yeah rick can quote me if i'm wrong but in since he took over in 2009 to that semi-final against germany i think we only lost like nine or 10 games, so I don't think you hit double figures in in three or four years. So we had a pretty good run within world number one from, from day dot when Rick and Poss and Goodis took over. And um, unfortunate, one of those games was in the semi-final. And, and yeah, we were, I think we were 2-1 up or whatever. And yeah, we just, yeah, we reviewed the game and stuff. And yeah, looking back at it now, we didn't take our chances and, and grab it. And, and move on, like move on within the game. So it's sort of, we just left all the opportunities open and, and stuff like that. And yeah, one one crap 70 minutes can cost you four years of hard work. So, and basically that's what it did to be honest. Mm. So, and it doesn't really hit home until after the match, you go into your warm down and you know, practice pitch and stuff. And you see like the likes of like DY and Jamie and Ozzy and that, like crying, like you know, then you're just like, yeah, this is this reality, and it's sort of like it, it's gone within seventy minutes of four years. That's sort of, yeah, that's what sort of fueled the fire for for the for the next Olympics, which went pear shaped as well. So, yeah, but it's what it is. But there was a there was a bronze medal game after, um, which is a good thing about losing a semi finals that you get to kind of play again. Yep. And then you guys played GB in GB packed stadium. Yeah, sixteen or seventeen thousand within a little confined space. Unbelievable. Yeah, and no, I still remember DY saying, "I don't want to go home with effing nothing." Yeah, and yeah, because even like even if you look at the photos now, like on the on the podium or in the diocese, whatever you call it, in our little group huddle, you can see the joyness of winning bronze, but the heart, the devastation of not winning the gold like I just look at some of the faces and, and if you go back and look at the photo you can yeah, it's, it really hurts like it really hurt but the photo of you guys winning bronze yeah like there's like we're in like a little huddle on the pitch mm. and you can just see like not fake smiles but mm. how much the previous day because you played the semi and you played the final within two days so you you know how much that um, that semi really hurt hurt us all but within the guys that thought we were going to go like sort of when they went to Athens and yeah we will red hot for London and, and that's how it went yeah okay um, and winning the bronze I mean people a lot of athletes talk about how they see anything except a gold as a failure and I know a lot of people have been incredibly proud of winning bronze you know because you do win bronze 
Um, is that how you feel about it, or is it just a bit bitter? Um, nah, I was extremely stoked, but it doesn't hit because you're just in the bubble. Like once you're you're a sports person, like men or woman, you're just in this bubble until like you've realised what you've what you're in, what you've gone through, what you're doing, and it didn't really hit home until I was retired and, and doing other stuff, and especially like with my work now, they're like. They don't call me by my name. They just go that Olympic, the Olympic hockey player over there, or that the guy that won the bronze and and stuff like that. So it doesn't hit home until you you realise the real importance of of what it is. But then you get the chirpy ones. You go, no, it's not a it's not a goal. It's, different. it's the wrong colour, mate. Like, I say, yeah, well, show me yours, brother. Like, and that sort of stuff. So it doesn't really hit home until you sort of. That's why it's important to when you're in the moment and you're getting overwhelmed, just just. Get out of it. Take your own time, and just really focus on what you're like. What are you doing, basically? And and um, hopefully within that the time frame you do it, you can sort of regroup and right. I'm here for this reason, and and not just go with the flow until right. Oh, that's it, and it's done. And you're like, oh man, I wish I had your time again. I guess, but um, yeah, it didn't really hit home until like I got got out of that bubble in the sporting world and got into the working world and people like, oh man, that's so cool. Like, mm. wish I could do that. Like, and, like, yeah, you look back and go, yeah, just like, it's the pinnacle of hockey and you've, you've ticked it off. So, mm. yeah. Is that something that you have really only realised after working about kind of zooming out and realising what you're doing or were there times when you were playing where you were like, this is, this is really cool? Nah, just, just when I, like, when I finished my career, it was probably, it probably took me a year after, to be honest. Um, because as you mentioned before, like I was fortunate enough to, I think the lowest in a tournament I finished was fourth, mm. and we probably got robbed in World League finals. But yeah, like I've been lucky to be on the majority of a winning winning team. So it's sort of that winning culture and that drive like helps you within being successful. But it's you sort of miss some steps as well, and you just yeah. You don't take it for granted, but you just, as I say, you're just in that bubble and you just, yeah, once you step back and you realise, like, yeah, right, that's, that's pretty cool. And, like, you won't do it again, but it's like, you were, you were able to do it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a very successful team that you are a part of. I mean, you kind of, that Rick era, um, you guys just won and won and won. Yeah. Um, now we can talk about the Champions Trophy final. <laughs> now we can talk about the Champions Trophy final. Um, I'm sure most listeners will remember um, Kieran Gubber scoring an extra time goal against the Dutch. In it was extra time, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was last ever extra time in FIH history. I remember it was the mo- it was probably that tournament was probably the best hockey I've ever seen because it was a nil all draw in the round game yeah, against yeah. the Dutch, and that was we were just peppering each other. Absolutely yeah. nuts! Like that was the most exciting nil all draw I've ever seen, and then up against the Dutch again in the final. Boy, talk to me about that game because that there's a there's a if you haven't seen it, go and have a look at the the YouTube. There's, it's on YouTube. There's a slow mo video um, of the of the final. But yeah, yeah, it's cool. I was just because Yap Yapi so Yap Stockman, the Dutch goalie. You might as well just put a concrete barrier up against the goals. Like it's, that's how much good form. Like that's how good form he was in. And yeah, they they had a cracking team as well, and sort of. Um, I think if if we look back at it, we we went with a couple of junior players as well. I think that might even be Weddy's first major or for like 
don't quote me on it, but I think it was his maybe mm. something to do with his first whatever it was. But then you had Dubs as well. Um, junior was there, like not not that he was a junior ranking. Jason Wilson, like he was probably in the same. He debuted, I think, the year before I did. So he was sort of in my sort of zone as well. So sort of we went probably underdone, and like talent wise, I guess, but. Um, compared to the other teams, but just the drive and connections between each other was just yeah, just formed a winning team, and and that and that was the thing as well. It's like first past the post, like it's top two. I think it was in the oh, no, it might have been, oh, I can't remember to be honest. But we there, we only beat Pakistan one nil, and that's how like close like we weren't dominating games um, by like three, four, five nil or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was. It was just a crazy tournament. I think it was my first proper major in Australia as well, so it was pretty exciting. Like, family came down and, and um, yeah, whoever was around from New South Wales and, and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it just everything clicked. Eh? It's just, yeah, I still remember the day. Because when I, when Dubs passed me, like, Eddie just breaking ankles down the sideline as he does, then, like, just fed it to Dubs and Dubs cruised it out to me. And all I wanted to do was I just, like, I saw some orange come in. I just wanted to smash the ball and hit them as well, like, mm. just follow through and hit them. But then I was like, I don't know why. I just went, like, tap, tap, bang. Then next thing, like, I just hit, like, I just see, like, because <laughs> I hit it, then I just see Nolsey stick fling past my head. <laughs> then, like, you just hear the dunk of the, like, like, like it just felt, like, delayed in me, in my mind. Then I just flung my stick, like, spun around, flung my stick, and, yeah, we just ran into the crowd. It was, yeah, it was crazy, so... Home tournament as well. Yeah. There's not much better than scoring a winning goal in that fashion against the Dutch at home. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's why it sort of probably worked in my favour then. The HIL auction was a week later and I got a, got a fair amount of money in the HIL auction. So sort of, yeah, right. Crazy two weeks to be honest. Yeah. That's it for part A. Plenty more coming up in the next part that you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. That's it for another episode of The Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.